I was sick, sick, unto death with that long agony, and when they at length unbound me, and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The Pit in the Pendulum by Edgar Allan Poe. Hello and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break, where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to sally forth. Join the dynamic duo, Edwin and Megan, as they explore topics of gravitas and pomp brought to the brink of absurdity and thrown off down, down, down the precipice of ridiculousness. Today we are talking about some short stories by Edgar Allan Poe. Indeed we are. So why? What what happened? Why why did we start doing this? Actually, it's your fault. It, I is, it is entirely you. It is my fault. Yeah. And I do, upon looking back on it, I, I, I should say I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> You can't make me repent. I did it, and I'm glad I did it. Okay. Well, used bookstores are kind of... They're, they're dangerous. a dangerous place to go into. Sometimes you can guard yourself against used bookstores, but especially on vacation, when you have the intention of going in and just browsing. I'm just looking. I'm not indulging some kind of, you know, addiction. Yeah. And then... You had the full support of your family and and your your wife and like, I I found a, a book. Can I get it? We're, like, we're enablers. Yes, I found this beautifully uh, bound edition of the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe on the bookshelf, and I picked it because I wants it and I got it. And then I started reading it. Now, why did I want it? Well, one, it was a beautiful looking book, but two, I remember early on in my youth reading Pit and the Pendulum. And really not, like, okay, I could see that there's some stuff going on there, some interesting stuff, but I did not get it, to be honest. Oh, really? Rereading it? I was surprised at what parts I remembered. So I remembered it. Oh. But I didn't get it. And okay. I didn't enjoy it. Oh, really? I found it laborious. Did you know? Well, was, my vocabulary was uh, suffering. Mm. So now I understand the words and what they mean. Mm-hmm. The symbols, the signs. All of it. I can see it all. I can see it clearly now. I can see it clearly now. The, the rain, rain is gone. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. That was actually beautiful. That was so beautiful. That was a moment. That was a moment. Thank you all for sharing that moment with us. <laughs> On a nice day at the beach, I picked up uh, this book, started reading it, and said, Hey, Megan, we should probably talk about Poe. I thought, this is a good conversation to have. One, because I think Poe is vanishing off into the miasmal mist of history. And and we're losing, losing so much of we're our... We're losing him. Yes. No. Be, people, I, mean, I don't think he's appreciated as much anymore as he once was. Mm-hmm. But I, I, he's still a pretty strong historical figure. Yes. I just, maybe the interest of going back to... 19th century literature is not as pushed in schools potentially anymore yeah i think think that's maybe the problem because like that's where we were introduced to poe was school right like that's where we read uh pit in the pendulum telltale heart so yeah that's where we were introduced and maybe that's where it's 
And what do you think accounts for the the lack of interest in 1800s literature? I don't know. I think there's a maybe a misconceived notion that is difficult or that is boring. Okay. In in the terms of a Poe, I don't find it to be either. But there are some like we read also Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And that's along the same vein, right? And I did not enjoy Frankenstein. No. So maybe that's where, and it's definitely hit or miss. And I, I'm not going. I'm, I'm definitely not a 19th century buff, and I don't love a majority of it. But yes. I, I do think it's very important to be aware of the American Romantics, and then how that kind of at the same time the transcendentalists kind of morphed out of that. So I think... And then eventually the critic. Yes, the the cynical critic, like oh, Mark Twain. right, right. And then you have Mark Twain coming. Historically, is, is very important to read. And my favorite way to learn history is to experience the art created. I think that is honestly the best way. Like, if you want to understand history, don't just go by a list of, oh, this and this happened on such and such a day. Like, look at the, what they were wearing, what they were eating, what were they writing, what were they, like, what plays were they watching and, and creating. Like, that is where you understand the ethos of the time. Yeah. Like, that's when you start to put it all together and history comes alive. And history is very real and history is very much alive. Like, Faulkner said, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And I think that's really interesting it, about what you're saying with art being not only the clearest reflection of what life was like, but also like that's what's the most enduring. If we look at ancient Greek culture, what we know is from the plays and from the the pots, like the pottery and other artwork that we have, we don't have a lot of written records like, oh, so-and-so did this and so-and-so did this. And daily life was like this. And people thought this way, right? We don't have that even. What we have is the work of art. Exactly. And that's where art is so lasting. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I, partly why I would say the pursuit of art is important because it's like, oh, what are you going to do with it? What are you, you know, like, where do you go with that? And how do you get a job? I'm like, no, yeah. but it's, it's a marker. Like it, it will have historical significance, even if you're just a plain old potter hundreds and hundreds of years from now, they're going to dig it up and then that's going to be a clue of mm -hmm. what the people were thinking and how things were made and what the times were like. And that would be another topic for another day, but like the marks of beauty make something enduring, right? Because people take care of things that they find beautiful. Right. So That's a that very good point. That's we, going to be preserved because it's beautiful. Right. Yeah. It, you don't have a lot of the ugly things from the past. Mm -mm. You just You just don't. Because no. those got thrown away or they got completely burned up. Yeah, you'd be amazed at the amount of glass, even from like Egyptian times and like just crazy, crazy time periods, like super oh. early. And these teeny tiny, super thin glass jars, but they were for women's makeup, right? And so it would have been taken care of and like somehow it just was preserved. Right, because it was that special and that yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and they made it so beautiful. You started reading it at the beach. Let's talk a little bit about who is Poe. I and mean, we talked a little bit how he's an American romantic, right? Mm -hmm. so Born in 1809 and then was early on an orphan. I, his father ran away. His mother died. and I mean, have you looked at a picture of him? That's just cruel. 
That's probably what all the kids at school said to him. Your father didn't want to be around you, and your mom really didn't want to be around you, so she died. You you are a bully at heart. I, I am. I'm a terrible person. I freely um, admit it. Yeah. He uh, had a couple of years of education in England. He also then went to the University of Virginia in America and started writing. And was yeah, not. He went to Virginia for one year, but then lack of funds. Yes. Because and I think I, he had a whole stint in the army, but then he was like, no, I'm a poet. Get it? Poet. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I was waiting. Yeah. I was waiting for that one. Uh, so yeah, then then he went writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the life of the writer has never been easy. I think he suffered destitute poverty for mm-hmm. quite some time. Really, his big breakout piece of work came a little bit later with The Raven. That was his most popular and still his most well-known work. He also did a lot of work as a critic. So before even his his poetry and, and fiction got recognized, he was doing a lot as a critic. That's right. And that was probably where most of the, the work was, too, yeah. writing for magazines. Yeah. I mean, he even wrote critiques on his own stuff, which I would love to read. Like, that's kind of after reading a couple stories. That's where I want to go. I want to read his critiques now. Yeah. I don't know. I just find him to be a very interesting person that you would write critiques on your own stuff. Well, I always wonder, like, is that is that really critiques on your own work, or is that called just clever marketing? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like what Andrew Wyeth did. You know, when he starts talking about, like, what he was like, talking to art critics and art historians, I was like, oh, yeah, I was doing this because of this. And then you hear the family story, it's like, oh, no, he just painted that. Mm-hmm. So... It's a little it, bit of both. It's maybe a little there's, bit of both. I'm, I'm sure there's always a kernel of truth, and then he's also having fun with us. Fact or fiction. Maybe it's both. Yes. So what what do we want to get into a little bit? Some of his short stories is most yeah, of what we're talking that's about. that's what we read. So we're focusing not on his poetry, but on a few short stories. So which ones did you read? I started off where I started off uh, much earlier on. A long, long time ago. With The Pit and the Pendulum. Which, of course, is the story of uh, someone who is captured and uh, convicted by the Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition, what a show. The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we'd go away. But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay. I think, uh, what's, what's the point of the story? I, for what I was struck by this time reading it is that it's kind of a, a, a warning to, t- like, for time. It's, it's, I find it interesting that it's not the pit that gets him, but it's, it's time that was the, the nearest danger, right? Because he, he has this episode where he falls and then he realizes that his head's hanging over uh, in the, the, pit. the pit. And he's like, oh, there's this huge pit here. And he drops something down and is really, really deep because he like just several yeah. seconds before he hears the plink. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, okay, we're going to avoid that. But then the thing that nearly kills him is the pendulum, is the symbol of time. And then at the, when he gets away from the pendulum... Uh, the he's saved from the pit. Yeah, 
in the nick of time. In the, yeah, so everything's like kind of the nick of time. Like the pendulum is just about to slice him open when he gets out, and then he's saved at the you know very end. It's just the nick of time. So I I think it's an exploration of time and death, like how yeah that, and, that play. Yeah, and most of the the story is in darkness too. So I thought that was really interesting to, for him to describe a scene where the person couldn't see and yes. what that's like. And then it makes you think a little bit like, is that what you take away from that is a little bit like your own life. You don't see anything a lot of times, or it's hard to, to see around you. And what you think is your atmosphere, what you think is your environment isn't necessarily the case. Cause he completely mismeasures the room he's in, right? He's yeah. trying to, he's trying to take control of the, his prison cell. Yeah. And he he can't. He completely misunder. And once light is shed upon it, mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, I had it was. It's way smaller than I thought." And yeah. all these crags and bumps are like those aren't sharp corners. Those are just figures carved into the wall. Yes. So he has this realization that things were not as he thought they were. Yeah. And then too, what he thought was going to be disaster upon him, the the rats are actually what saves him from yes. the pendulum, right? Yes. So there, I think there's a lot of a, awakening, like once the light is shed on things, that mm. like things are not as they seem. The the rat part always, I find is kind of the, the worst part. The idea of like the rats crawling on his neck and everything. Oh, rats! I yeah, and I think for him too, like to be freed, you have to suffer. I don't. I think. Poe is kind of trying to get you to to feel like the suffering of almost dying, and then the release. Well, he's he's sick unto death, he's right? He's sick unto death at the very beginning, so I I think he's trying to get you to feel like okay, if you were almost dying and then you mm. were saved just at the nick of time, like how would that feel? Yeah, no, he's very good at giving you the feeling, and I think that's what one thing you wanted to bring out was that he writes with the purpose of bringing you to a certain feeling and he does accomplish it yes he does yeah he wants to bring you that that feeling of the sublime he wants you to experience that feeling of of death of being of being completely overwhelmed yes which i think is that word sublime Mm-hmm. Right? i think it's... we oftentimes now will hear it mostly on cookie show oh this is absolutely sublime which is <laughs> not what that word meant back then Mm-mm. It was like you're driving through the Alps and it's too sublime. It's too overpowering. You need to, to yeah. shut out the mountains. It's how I've always thought of it. It's like a spiritual experience, but without God, right? Like It's like this overwhelming shuddering, this this feeling of being torn asunder and yeah. and put together. But it's it's not really based in, I don't know, not based in fact, necessarily it's it's more oh, it's not directed towards the the person of god right it's it's just it's actually more directed towards your feeling yeah and this is where the romantics come in and and poe is trying to get that feeling as many times as he he can i found it was interesting in the fall of the house of usher that when the narrator is coming up to the house of Usher, he's kind of like, it's not this, it's not, it's not the sublime. It's like, I'm just like so scared and it's so icky and it's not at all like this good feeling of sublime. But I think he's trying to get you to feel that, like as the reader trying to get you to, to feel 
the yes. sublime and to feel like this attraction and repulsion to the house of usher absolutely so i think i think poe is trying to build that tension I, I, a lot of times like that kind of that you're contradictory and you're you're pulled in two places because it's like it's like a train wreck right like you don't want to watch but you you have to look so you're like kind of like looking through your fingers yeah it's kind of that feeling yeah it's kind of like, like that you can't look away absolutely he even has that in the picture that the the in the pendulum where oftentimes he draws attention to unclosing his eyes yes I, that really struck me too i, I f- found that interesting that you noticed that as well yeah no or it takes all his willpower to unclose his eyes like don't we have another word for that i was like no we don't need another word for that we have closed and then we have unclosed it's perfectly reasonable cupboard doors are closed all the time we don't need to have another word for that we just the natural state is closed and then you unclose it momentarily and then it's closed again. I know English just has so many words. It gets confusing if you just keep making new ones. Besides that word that you want to use, that uh, uh, oh pen, it just it sounds vulgar. It, it, it really does. Unclosed is much more civilized. Mm-hmm. But I mean, his that that's drawing again to what you were saying that, that it kind of touched on what we said earlier about that what's made visible later on is is different from what was first imagined. And I wonder with the House of Usher, like how much of it is true? That's that's the interesting part of the, the fall of the House of Usher. Is like you don't know always who's a re- reliable na- narrator. Yeah, especially since he's so on edge when he gets there. Yeah. Is is he just and again like the the saying like it's not the sublime, it's not the sentimental feeling. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he is reliable or not. I I agree with you that it's it's tough to say that is this the narrator's perception of of a friend dying. Right. And then he's like filling in all this because he's shuddering or if it really happens. Right. But I mean he just gets so overtaken by the the story with Ethelred. Mhm. And it's just like is is that true too? Cuz like is it seems like there's this storm, and then he decides to read this this very garishly romantic story of Ethelred, yes. right? And, and like the whole time he's saying it's not. So I I think there's quite a sense of humor to Poe. I don't yeah. but like you were saying that this could be just our cynical reading of it. Well, that's being, the thing I don't more know. Modern readers, but I think it's kind of funny when he's like, he says like, oh. Here's here's your favorite book, and he knows it's kind of a joke because he just grabbed whatever book, and he's like, "Here's your favorite book, friend. I'm gonna Roderick. I'm gonna gonna calm you down with this book, and yeah. it's like a tale of murder and clanging and dragons and yeah. you know all these things." And he's like, "This was probably not the best book choice because you can see Roderick's getting more and more and more and more agitated as he's reading this story." Yeah. So I think there is a sense of humor to it, where he just like picks up this book and it ends yeah. up being. terrifying this terrifying thing that happens to them and like with the pit too pit and the pendulum like when he finally can see how angry he is at himself he's like oh i was so dumb yeah like i must when i passed out i must have like just counted the the space twice and then i didn't realize that i was going in one direction with the wall to my right and then when i started counting again the wall was to my left so he's he's rationalizing too his mistake yeah right instead of just saying like oh 
that was a mistake. He's like rationalizing. Oh, and I was so delirious and so thirsty and hungry. And then I passed out and then I counted it again. And, you know, and, but we do that though. Like when we make mistakes, we, we kind of go back and reverse engineer what happened. Yeah. And we, we have to come up with some sort of rational reason why we made a mistake. Yes. The, the only reason like I could... Even, even if it's just us seeing it, because like nobody really sees... I mean, I guess he's he is being watched. Right. Or he thinks he's he being watched. He thinks ra- he's there, being watched. There's no proof that he's being watched. So even if you think you're being watched, but like he's not saying it out loud, right? It's all internal. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how even when nobody sees our mistakes, we have to come up so that we feel better about ourselves. Yeah. We have to come up with some sort of rational explanation. And then you usually end up being the fool because... You just made a mistake. Exactly. You were just you were yeah. just flat out wrong. Exactly. So why should people read Poe still today, this very day? This very day. Well, especially with short stories, I think short stories are are great to get the all the literary love in a short amount of time. You could read it on your lunch break. Exactly, and that's why we haven't you know made an episode about Poe because this is such a great thing for you to read on your lunch break. Uh, on average, I would say short story takes about an hour, like, you know, yeah. hour or so. So that's maybe two, depending on how long a lunch break you get. Yeah, you got those union lunch breaks. Those are pretty nice. Yeah, then you're definitely going to finish. No, it's a great thing to read on your on your lunch break. Also, just his construction of sentences and the language that he uses is very rich, very full. And for me, I think I'm not super drawn to the romantics. But because he's able to use such a full sentence and he he's very good at showing, not telling. So getting back to like what I said about with Frankenstein, I always felt that Shelley was telling, not showing. Yeah. I kind of felt like, oh, feel this now. And I'm like, well, you didn't build me up to feeling that. Whereas You Paul, didn't bring me on this journey. I know, I want to go on a journey. <laughs> Don't just tell me what to do. So I want to do it myself. But Poe is so good in a short amount of time, completely placing you there, completely putting you in this feeling. Right. And it's his language, right? Like he is very good at constructing a sentence. It envelops you in the scene. It does. Yep. It's like if you like Miss Haversham's house from Great Expectations, you're going to love Poe. It's just like that all the time. Yeah. So I think that's that's definitely one reason and like one another reason that I, I touched on is that it's it's a really nice way to get 19th century literature in without going crazy. Yes. Because there's some that are, are much tougher to read and there's some that are not as much fun. Not as rewarding. Not as rewarding. But you read a couple short stories from Poe, you're getting a lot of the, the context of the time and you're getting a lot of the feeling for so it's good bang for your buck absolutely so i would especially since you can pick these up cheap at any used bookstore absolutely absolutely you can find them anywhere so how about you i think exactly what you were saying is really fun to read a romantic romantic period literature and actually enjoy it yeah and not feel like it's nails on a chalkboard yeah yeah exactly and i i think Poe does like to describe and explore uh, the darkness within every human heart to, yeah. degree, to a degree, yeah. right? And he's he's very interested in death, but not 
death to end a death. He's he's more interested in immortality. Mm-hmm. But to explore immortality, you have to deal with death, right? And like for him, like death is the most interesting subject, or like yeah. dealing with that. And I mean, if you want to take that route, like that's kind of a philosophical question, right? Of what makes life worth living, which is the same yeah. as like what. Which, I mean, what is the meaning of death? Which is the uh, kind of like the essence of art is trying yeah. to explore what is the meaning of life. Right. Right. And you have to, because the opposite of life is death, you're going to have to deal with both. Yeah. So when you get down to the true essence of art, that's what you're dealing with. Right. And then even if you start becoming more modern and more, more uh, cynical and you start saying that it's meaningless, well, that's the meaning of life is that it's meaningless. Exactly. So you there can't is, you can't is, get away from that. There co- is nothing, there is no such thing as nothing. There is no such thing as meaningless, right? Like, because you have to use words to describe. Right. What it isn't. Exactly. And you can't, you can't get away from dealing with those questions. What's the best place to pick up Poe? Best way, place to start? Is it with his poetry, with his short stories? Which, which short story would you recommend? I, I think you can just kind of jump in his I'm, I'm pit and the pendulum is very very famous as well as the telltale heart and the fall of the house of Escher. but you read another one that we didn't talk about today yep William Williamson it's really interesting it's it's a little bit of the same themes as uh, the double by Dostoevsky yeah who was very much influenced by Poe that's what I research I've done. Okay. And I, I've seen that. Well, there online. there's definitely some very similarities there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you enjoy uh, a little bit of Dostoevsky, then you'll like that. In conclusion, if you want to probe the sublime and the dark heart of man, and you want to stay enraptured and engaged with verse at the same time, give Poe a try. We hope you have enjoyed the Ducks Never Waver lunch break. If you would like to fill your senses with more Ducks Never Waver goodness, you can feast your eyeballs on Instagram and Facebook. Touch some of our beautiful pieces that we will ship right to your door by ordering them through Etsy. Or you can continue hearing us on this magnificent culmination of auditory recordation. Donation buckets are in the description for you to invest in the betterment of this podcast. We will work diligently to read and present interesting topics. Your hard-earned money will be joyously and gratefully spent to improve your lunch break. Want to keep your hard-earned money? And who doesn't? You can still support us and yourself by rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing this here podcast with all the other ducks in your life. Stay quacky.